It's time to swing into the golf world of today. I don't think I've had as much fun on a golf show. The Pro Show with Keith Stewart, sponsored by TaylorMade. Terrific voice, and you have enthusiasm. Now your host, the director of fun. Give me that guy all day, he's the best. Keith Stewart. Good afternoon, and welcome to The Pro Show. I'm your host, Keith Stewart, the director of fun. Thank you for tuning in to ESPN 920. It's time for Tory Pines. U.S. Open Week is in full swing, and we have a major guest. So stay classy, San Diego, as the whole golf world is watching. You know you can't stop the pro show. So lock and load, listeners. It's time for golf's signature show. And das it, Wade. One of those fantastic Friday afternoons where the chili peppers match up nicely with the setting with which we're covering in golf. Ah, Tory Pines is in San Diego, a little SoCal vibe that we're going to create this afternoon with our playlist. See if anyone catches the theme that we're throwing out there later on that I challenged you with. But I think you just gave it to them, didn't you? Well, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, maybe. Who knows? People might not be as into it as you and I are. You know, we have to be um, aware of that, I guess. But uh, one thing I want to make you aware of is that we have a very awesome guest today. His name is David Abelese, and David is the president and CEO of TaylorMade, uh, one of our sponsors, but also one of the you know largest companies in all of golf. Uh, super innovative guy. Um, he's coming to us live nice this nice, afternoon nice, from nice, the nice. U.S. Open there at Torrey Pines. Um, can't wait to get a kind of a report from him, a little analyst mode maybe of whatever we can do, but uh, definitely a guy I look up to in the golf industry, and he's been on the show before, a couple years ago, U.S. Open week at Shinnecock. Uh, David spent some time with us, and uh, he is back for more fun. And speaking of fun, the players actually had a little fun yesterday because uh, unlike a usual U.S. Open, they had 23 players at the time of the suspension of play last night, and I'll get to that storyline in a minute. Um, they were under par, which isn't always the case when it comes to the U.S. Open, which is usually a uh, uh, a brutal leaderboard, you know, a massacre yeah. of sorts. But uh, uh, kudos to Louis Oosthuizen at the pause last night. He was at four under with a couple to go, and he's he finished up this morning. But Russell Henley, you've got him at minus four, posting at the end of the first round. Francisco Molinare at minus three. Rafa Cabrera Bayo. Uh, minus three. You've got your usual characters, Brooks, Xander, Rom at minus two, lurking at a major championship. Uh, right there at T11 after round one, you've got Adam Scott, Matt Wolf, more on him, Terrell Hatton, Matt Fitzpatrick, um, Patrick Cantley, your memorial winner, uh, um, Eduardo Molinari. And, uh, you know, I bring that up because Eduardo and Francisco are brothers, right? Ooh, nice. And the last time that two brothers made the cut in a U.S. Open was 1983 at Oakmont, and that was the Ozaki brothers from Japan. So been a while, yeah, a couple couple decades, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just goes to show it's a kind of a tough thing to do. Uh, speaking of lurking, even par, DJ Sergio Westwood. Uh, Paul Casey. And then you've got this other list of folks that we're not quite sure whether or not they know that the U.S. Open started yet. You've got Patrick <laughs> Reed at plus one, Tommy Fleetwood joining him. Your defending champion, uh, Bryson DeChambeau at plus two with JT, Justin Thomas plus two, uh, Victor Hovland plus three with Tony Finau. That's where he be now. And uh, Will Zalatoris, everyone's favorite major betting 
prop person. He is plus four. Phil at 51 now is plus four. Colin Morikawa uh, plus four. And Jordan Spieth, not the best day. Maybe a bad stake on Wednesday night. I don't know. He had plus six. Five bogeys, one double bogey, and one birdie on the day for him. Not quite sure. But the big storyline of the day was definitely the 90-minute fog delay, what they like to call the marine layer out there. Oh, sure, the marine uh, layer, yeah. The marine layer there in San Diego, because Torrey Pines is right there on the Pacific Ocean. Uh, they had a little marine layer there at the start of the day, which led to a 90-minute delay and, and caused the suspension of play last night at 7.51 Pacific Daylight Time. Which got me thinking about it because I was like, man, I think that they could play later than that. But I guess the fog makes it even harder. That could be. You know, I, I'm I'm not an expert on marine layers. Or fog. Yes. Or well, yeah. I was on college mornings, but that's that's a whole different story. But you know, I started looking into this and I was like, Well, what time is sunset in San Diego? And I figure out that, you know, last night's sunset was at seven fifty nine PM and they suspended play at seven fifty one. So I, I you know, I fear that your theory on the marine layer is definitely something that led to it being a little darker than it needed to be even right. even prior to sunset. But you know the sunset in New York last night was 8.31 p.m., right? Yeah. Let's get the U.S. Open back over here. They could have played later. <laughs> and there's no, and there's definitely no marine layer in New York City. No, no, definitely not. Right? Yeah, but, I mean, you know, one of the funny things is that whenever they have those delays, you know that's going to cause chaos at the end of the day. Because if a guy has one hole to play, I don't care if he's the number one player in the world, that guy is doing everything in his power. In order, and it's always a superstar that they want to show. But at the end of coverage last night, Rory McIlroy did everything in his power to finish the 18th hole. He was like, he bombs it down. It's a par five. He bombs it down there, uh, missed the fairway. You know, punches it out. He's got like 95 yards to the hole. They're all going out of turn in his group. Right, They're just, right, you know, right. he hits it up to like eight feet. And you know, they have the aperture open on the camera that makes it look kind of like it's light, but right. you could tell <laughs> when they go to one of the side cameras, it's like pitch black. They're I don't know. every pixel out of that. They can. Yeah, it. I don't know how he did it, but he made the birdie putt and he closed with a one under 70. And more on Rory and opening rounds and majors later in the update. But um, it was just fun. It's always great to watch those guys who are usually just like sauntering along, doing their sure. thing. Mentally focused, and then you know, all of a sudden they're like, "Hey, you got you got about uh, six minutes to finish this," and they Wait, all do it. Can they bring a portable light if they're on the green? Um, you think? I mean, uh, you know, I don't know. It's the USGA. Just the green. That's all. You yeah. Know. Well, you know, the other storyline I love about this is that you got guys like Brooks, Xander, Rom, all your pre-tournament favorites, all in there, all just you know under par. Kind of getting a feel for the golf course, all that general stuff you hear in the press room. You know, Brooks is amazing. You know, since 2016 in major championships with his two under yesterday, he's now 84 under par. That's like 60 better than any other person <laughs> in that time frame. 60 strokes better. It's 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 pretty crazy, you know. Um, but it was good to see, you know, you know, uh, John Rahm get off to a good start as the tournament favorite and, and not be out of it. Xander, the hometown favorite that everyone's rooting for. Really cool. Another cool story was the man Matt Wolf. So we haven't heard from Matt Wolf in a while. Came out of Oklahoma State. You know, he has the uh, braggadocious teacher and uh, uber-confident George Gankus. You know who you who you love when when Absolutely. he's when he's on the air with us, and um, you know it's kind of an interesting story because Matt Wolf came out and said, you know, I took a couple months off because mentally I just I had a lot of demons going on, you know, and it, it makes you know I bring this up in a totally positive light because you would think with how confident George is, 
and Matt having a very distinct swing that he's very confident in himself. And, you know, when he showed, uh, you know, a very sincere side there to the media yesterday, he said, hey, man, I took some time off. Now, he had a roller coaster of a round. He had eight birdies okay. and he shot one under. So on top of that, he had a bunch of bogeys. He had a double bogey. He had a lot going on in his round. So it was very, very cool to kind of hear him open up about his last two months and say, hey, I wasn't playing good golf. And there was a lot going on in my head. And, you know, that's a storyline that we're really going to start to root for this weekend and hope that he does better because, you know, you hate to see that with the athletes. You know, when you go back to the French Open and, um, you know, the storyline there about not going to the press conference because it's mentally challenging how the press beats up on you and so on and so forth. Um, Our defending champ, Mr. DeChambeau, four birdies, six bogeys. And uh, he, of all things, last night, Todd Lewis was once again, and this hit social media this morning, but Todd Lewis, after his round, was interviewing Brooks, mm-hmm. and in the background, Bryson walked behind them and jumped up and down like <laughs> it was his last day of school. <laughs> it was uh, pretty hysterical to see him do it. I mean, if you got if, if you check it out, folks, on Twitter, you can't miss it. I mean, it's it's got every hashtag in the world, but it's uh, he's just jumping up and down in the background, and... Uh, Speaking of somebody who got pretty famous for a jump when he won his first major back at the Masters, Phil's career Grand Slam. He needs the U.S. Open and uh, five bogeys and one birdie. He's not going to do it. He's four over. But, you know, four over at a U.S. Open isn't terrible, but he's going to need a much better round today. Uh, He was a little loose yesterday. And one of the things I heard during the coverage, which I thought was interesting, was that a lefty had never won the U.S. Open. Really? A left-handed player. This is the 121st version, so... That leads me to believe, you and I, that there were 120 versions sure, before that. Sure. And in 120 versions of it, <laughs> there was no left-handed winner. That's crazy. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. you know. And to segue about crazy, you know, we love talking about the last time that the U.S. Open was at Torrey Pines. I'm going to give you some crazy stories about our man Tiger Woods. All right, mm-hmm. And we have, a, we have a really positive story about him coming up in the weekly update. But I'm going to take you back in time, you know, in my DeLorean here. And... Uh, right, Scott. Yes. One, one. 1.21. Keith, where are we going? We are going to San Diego in 2008 in the battle between Rocco Mediate and Tiger Woods. And, you know, I, it was funny because I have a little personal story. In 2008, I was, I was working up in Rhode Island at a golf course called Warwick Country Club. But in that summertime, right after that open, I had to take a trip back down to Isleworth. And I was meeting up with a former boss of mine and we were working on a project. But when I got down there, I said, hey, how about Tiger winning on a broken leg? I mean, how crazy was that? And he goes, crazy. He goes, that guy. And this is when it started to come out. that He was doing all that Navy SEAL training. Right. Right. So he had read the book. If you haven't ever read this book, you got to read it. But it was a very popular book around that time, and it's called Lone Survivor. And it was written by a Navy SEAL, Marcus Luttrell, who went into Afghanistan and his team. You know, he was the only member of his team that made it out alive. And there was this just tremendous I story. That. I didn't read it, but I remember about yeah. it. Yeah. So Tiger reads this book and he's training with these Navy SEALs. And he's like, so what if I have a broken leg? This is the this is the perfect golf course for me. I've won here like 100 times. I already won there this year in the Buick Invitational in January. He right. goes, it's now June. I can win here again. And he pulls the thing off. And to Tiger's mindset, if you go back, and this, you know, we, we kind of lose touch with how great and how much we miss Tiger right now at these events. But, you know, the expect anything different. Nobody did. And here's why. Starting in August of 2000, he wins the Bridgestone. He wins the PGA. 
He comes in second at the Deutsche Bank. He wins the BMW. He wins the Tour Championship. He wins the Target World Challenge. It's now New Year's. We're going to turn the clock to 2008. He wins at Tory. He wins the match play. He wins at Bay Hill. These are the only tournaments he's playing. Right. Yeah. There's nothing in between. No, no, no. Okay? <laughs> I mean, think about this. It's greatness. It's sheer greatness. Then he's fifth at Doral. He's second at the Masters. And he's complaining of a knee problem, which he eventually has surgery on right after the Masters. And Trevor Limerman wins. He, you know, Tiger comes in second at the Masters behind Trevor Immerman by three. And then he doesn't play another tournament until Torrey at the U.S. Open. He has knee surgery, but there's something else going on because he's training like a madman with all the lone survivors. Right. And then he goes out and he wins the U.S. Open on a broken leg, not 72 holes like mere mortals do. No. Right. But then he has after an 18 hole playoff the next day with Rocco Mediate. And they're still tied. And they got to play one more hole. Ninety one holes. Right. And if you count back through all of that, he has like a dozen tournaments and he wins nine of them within a year. And then obviously he shuts it down because he has the broken leg and everything yep. after he wins it in June. But I mean, it's just unbelievable. <laughs> I, I went back and I looked at some of this because I knew he had won Buick that year. And I was like trying to think about how many major winners had won the PGA Tour event earlier in the year. Yada, yada. It's, you know, because Pebble, they do it. They do it at their Tory. And uh, I looked all that up, and I hope you all enjoy that story. And check out that book if you've never read it, folks. It's definitely one about overcoming things, and uh, it's super well written by um, Mr. Luttrell there, our Navy SEAL. Now, folks, speaking of veterans, right, we got to talk about the New Jersey Golf Foundation for just a second. As golf has become a therapeutic part of the rehabilitation process for military veterans living with physical and cognitive challenges, the New Jersey Golf Foundation is all in offering golf programming specifically for veterans through PGA Hope, helping our patriots everywhere. Our veterans enjoy camaraderie on the golf course alongside fellow veterans while learning the game from PGA professionals. For information on weekly PGA Hope programs at Fiddler's Elbow Country Club, Forsgate Country Club, and Galloping Hill Golf Course, visit NewJerseyGolfFoundation.org or call 732-465-1212. It's U.S. Open Week. Folks, it is 3.14 p.m. in New York, and we're about to join somebody out there in San Diego where it's just past lunchtime at noon 14. Thanks for listening to ESPN 920. Be back in a moment with the CEO of TaylorMade Golf, David Abeles. To the shindig, chop chop, he says I'm gonna win big. Choose not a life of imitation, distant us into the reservation. Mike Greenberg. Green. One of the great players in the history of his sport has said he doesn't like the game anymore. That player is Gary Sheffield. There's no axe to grind here, right? Like he's not, he's not someone like Jose Canseco to take it to the right. ultimate extreme. But in him coming out and saying that, when you got a guy who's like a borderline Hall of Fame caliber player saying, I hate the sport now, that's a pretty harsh thing to say. Greeny with Mike Greenberg. Weekday mornings at 10 Eastern on ESPN Radio. And watch exclusively on ESPN+. Plus. Join the thousands of golfers who already call Stick and Hack their home for the best golf stories, original podcasts, special events, member perks, and an act community of golfers across North America. Up until now, the golf media landscape lived somewhere between straight PGA coverage or idiots wrecking golf carts. We take a different approach by celebrating all sides of golf, 
life, and all the ways this amazing game connects sticks and hacks every day. Your free membership entitles you to discounts from major brands all over the country while connecting you with like-minded golfers for discussion, tips, or even around the golf. So head to stickandhack.com and enjoy the world's greatest golf club without the course. Time to get back on course as the pro show continues. Great show and great questions. Once again, Keith Stewart. Welcome back to the Pro Show. I'm your host, Keith Stewart, and you're listening to ESPN 920. Today's guest is a modern C-suite leader, a five-tool executive. He's humble, well-spoken, innovative, collaborative, and cool. David Abeles is the son of a scientist, the father of three boys, and a husband, and an inspiration to our whole industry. This afternoon, I can't wait to learn more about a man meant to live a life as a leader. And knowing him, he'll share with us that golf's about to get even better going forward. We were meant to live so much more And we lost ourselves Somewhere we live inside All right, we are heading out to Southern California and we have the man, the myth, the legend, David Abeles, on the air with us from Torrey Pines. David, how are you, and, and how are things this week out there with the U.S. Open? I must say, Keith, uh, that introduction was pretty impressive. I don't deserve that, uh, but if you want to play it a few times over, it made me feel really, really good, so thanks for the kind words. Well, you know what? I'll have my producer cut it, and you can use it as your ringtone if you want. <laughs> well, that was something else. The, the lead-in music, the nice comments, not worthy of that, but thanks. Things in San Diego are dynamite, right? It's U.S. Open weekend. How, how can it not be? We're, we're letting fans out on the golf course. Uh, obviously, everybody's doing that safely. The USGA is governing this event very, very well, as you might expect. We've got the best athletes in the world. The golf course is in spectacular shape. The weather should shape up absolutely perfectly over the weekend. And I think what we'll see, like we do at most U.S. Opens, is the absolute best talent will end up at the top of the leaderboard and will turn the corner on Sunday and uh, crown another national champion on Father's Day. So it's exciting. It's, uh, it's a wonderful opportunity for us to have a home game here at TaylorMade as well. Our, our teams, as you know, Keith, we're on the road quite a bit, working with our athletes and uh, traveling from event to event and ensuring that uh, everybody's equipment is tuned up and they're putting the right golf ball in play to be able to do that and have our team be able to uh, stay in their homes with their families and in their own beds for a week is uh, is very special as well. So should be a great weekend and hopefully all of your, your listeners will be tuned in watching uh, the U.S. Open Championship. You know, you bring up a lot of key points there. Fans, U.S. Open, major championship, tremendous venue, right? I want to take you back in time for just a second, right? Things are a lot different than they were a year ago, right, in, in the world itself. And, and, you know, when we were just in the middle of this tremendous pause as a country and you being out there in California, certainly you felt the effects as, as much as we did here in New Jersey and New York. As you look back a year later and you think about what a tremendous weekend we're about to have with the U.S. Open, right, as a leader in golf, what are you most grateful for as we went through this whole year? You know, I, I've, like many, it's a great question. Like many, I've spent quite a bit of time uh, planning, uh, managing through what was one of the most surreal and continues to be one of the most surreal uh, crises that we've ever dealt with, not just in our business, but in our lives, right? I mean, this is a, God willing, a one in a hundred year pandemic, and we don't see another one of these, hopefully ever. 
Um, and you try to focus on, the, you know, the good that has come out of this and, and what have we learned and how do we advance ourselves personally and professionally? What does it mean to your family? What does it mean to your company? Uh, what does it mean to your community? And make no mistake, Keith, that the sadness that we've all felt over the past year, year and a half, those that have lost loved ones or been impacted um, by the horrible nature of this virus and pandemic, it, it's very difficult, right? That's very heavy. And um, you try not to uh, absolve yourself of the reality of some of the challenges that we have faced because it's very difficult to really accept and move forward until you recognize where you've been. What I'm incredibly grateful for now is that we're migrating through it. And not only is there light at the end of this cycle through this pandemic, um, but the light is shining brighter, uh, I think, than, than ever before uh, on, on a couple of fronts. Number one, as it relates to how we've all connected with each other and hopefully our families, the respect and appreciation of what it's like to have human-to-human contact, how important your relationships are uh, internally, externally, uh, what it means to engage a person face-to-face, uh, to me, is like living life in high definition right now. You, you really learn to appreciate how important human contact is and the respect from one person to another. From a business standpoint, uh, unequivocally, the thing I am most grateful for uh, is my team and the entire team at TaylorMade Golf. Um, the way we have navigated together through even some of the most challenging times when Western markets around the world from really the middle of March in 2020 until June of 2020 were shut down. Think about it, Keith. Couldn't play golf, couldn't go to a golf shop, couldn't get on a launch monitor, couldn't get fit into new tailor-made products, anybody's products for that matter. And um, here we are a year later. Uh, our industry uh, is, is at an all-time high right now. We're seeing greater participation in our sport than ever before. Uh, we're seeing the enjoyment and the, the attitude and usage surveys around those that are playing the game and utilizing our products and our brand uh, more prolific than we've ever seen. We see a growth curve in our sport um, that we haven't experienced since Tiger burst onto the scene in 1997. So to answer your question really specifically, um, I'm sad that we had to go through this. I'm stating the obvious. Everybody would acknowledge that. I'm incredibly sad uh, for those that have lost. Uh, people that are so close to them, families and friends. But I'm also grateful for the medical community that's been able to navigate through with incredible science to get us to a place where we can vaccinate. Uh, And then subsequently, what it has meant to how we live our lives moving forward and subsequently uh, the engagement in our business. So I've got an an awful lot to be grateful for, but it starts with the people around me uh, at TaylorMade. It starts with our team who has been absolutely masterful in this. And Keith, as you know, You know, the first live televised sporting event coming out of COVID in May of last year was the TaylorMade Driving Relief event. One of the things we did, a real moment in time for our company, hopefully your listeners can appreciate this. We are more than just a world-class manufacturer of equipment and golf ball. We love to give back to the community and not just the golf community. We ran an event down at Seminole Golf Club with our partners at the PGA Tour and NBC called TaylorMade Driving Relief with Rory McIlroy, Dustin Johnson, Matt Wolf, and Ricky Fowler. And we raised $8 million on the first live televised event to help first responders, the CDC Foundation, and the American Nurses Foundation to help fight COVID. And so when I think about all the things that we've done, put aside 
you know, record sales and the strength of our industry, what we were able to contribute to help those that were helping others is something that I will never forget. You know what, folks? There's a bright light on our show today, and that's David Abelese. That's the voice you hear on the other end of this microphone. And, you know, David has been an innovative leader and somebody that, you know, I look up to tremendously. And, and I'm going to quote you for a second here, David. And you said, any organization, individual or association that plans on having a material impact in their respective area has to have a clear perspective on what they do, how they do it, and who they want to be. You are a tremendous innovative leader, and I want to dig in there a little bit while I have you this afternoon. What inspires you outside of golf, right? Outside of this industry, when you see things, what inspires you to be that innovative guy? Yeah, you know, Keith, innovation is a term, and I think you and I have had a few discussions about this over the years, because I I think uh, about you and your career and all the things that you have done to help golf. I think about how you conduct your show, the questions that you ask. Um, it's, it's not only impressive, but it's inspiring. The, the concept of innovation, in my opinion, is very much understood or misunderstood. I'm sorry. You have a lot of individuals saying, boy, I'm an innovator and my company's an innovative company. And they typically say, if you ask them a the question, well, what have you innovated? The answer is, well, we have a new product. Well, Product innovation is only one facet of being an innovator, right? And you can certainly find a new feature or a new benefit in the product that hopefully could, could do something different than what you've had before. But the, the notion of innovation starts with the fundamental belief that the world, your life, and your business must advance. And in order to advance, you have to think about new and creative ways. You have to be able to ideate. Uh, and, and establish new concepts and break new boundaries and break glass and try new things and take on risk. Otherwise, you really can't call yourself an innovator. And even if you do, you're probably not innovating. And the reason being a truly innovative company or a really innovative person, uh, or in your case, Keith, an innovative leader is so difficult is because you have to be willing to do things that others won't. You have to be willing to take on risk. And you also have to recognize that you're going to have some challenges and you may fail from time to time. Failure in a good way because you'll learn about what did or didn't work. So really the gateway to innovation has nothing to do with a simple new feature or concept. The gateway to innovation personally as a leader, professionally as an organization, is a cultural thing. Our organization innovates across everything we do, which means we challenge ourselves. It's a difficult path to pursue. Yes, we innovate around product technology, and that's where TaylorMade gets most of our credit because, you know, the, the, the mission of our organization is to be the best performing golf brand in the world. The purpose of our company, make no mistake, and this is about the clarity of purpose and understanding, is to help every golfer at LV, every skill level play the game better. That's why we exist as a company. To do that, we have to push ourselves. We have to stretch boundaries test new protocols, test new products, test new operating practices. So when we talk about innovating, it isn't solely, excuse me, about our products. We innovate around our brand. How do we communicate the things that we do, the things that we would like to do, engage consumers, golfers, to find new pathways to enhance the experience with TaylorMade and advance our game and our company within the game. We innovate operationally. One of the things that most golfers will never understand because they can't get into our manufacturing facilities is how we utilize robotics 
advanced design and manufacturing processes to improve quality, performance, and ultimately build things better. Every day, we sweat innovation in our process orientation and manufacturing so that every product, every single one of them, Keith, that gets in the hands of every golfer is not only of the best quality, but of the best performance, both functionally and how it's formed, which is in its design language. We innovate experientially. So if any of your audience has an opportunity to engage TaylorMade at a fitting event or a trial event or go see our brand or our products or our people in shop, we are constantly bringing new technology to create new experience for golfers that help them see a better pathway to improve their performance. And then we innovate culturally. One of the things we invest in more than any other company, and I can say that because I've been at other companies, is the development of our people to shape the way we think to shape how we take on creativity and assume the risk of being an innovator and then ultimately press forward. And then the other thing we do, and I think this driving relief event that we pulled off was one of the most innovative concepts that, that we've seen in our business. And it doesn't happen to be a driver or a new uh, TP5 golf ball. We innovated a public platform communi communication concept uh, with a couple of partners for the benefit of people in need. So as you can tell by the tone in my voice, Keith, this afternoon, my passion for innovation um, is inherent in who I am. And you can't fake that. You authentically have to live it. and You have to have an orientation where you look for a new true north every day and find a pathway that ultimately um, is different than what you have for the benefit of, the, of what you're trying to do. And that's why when we spoke, gosh, it was probably a year ago now, I shared with you the importance of understanding who you are and specifically the clarity and purpose of what you're trying to accomplish because from there you can move forward and you can really innovate. And that right there, folks, is why I had to have David Abelis on this afternoon. Now, unfortunately, we got to take a quick break. But during that break, consider what he just said. Maybe rewind it back when you get the podcast and take a couple notes. Because, folks, up next more with TaylorMade's innovative leader, David Abelis. Thanks for listening to ESPN 920. Keyshawn Johnson. Any quarterback that play underneath him is going to look crazy, and especially if they got any skill set. Jay Williams. I'm just tired of talking about what Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons don't do. I want to start talking about what Brett Brown needs to make them do. It's time to go to work, Brett. And Subin Mahente. I can promise you, I am as passionate about sports as you are. It is time to go to work. Keyshawn, J. Will, and Zubin. Weekday mornings starting at 6 on the new 920 ESPN. Today's interview is brought to you by our friends at Beedratty. Beedratty is known for their irrationally comfortable Peruvian Pima cotton polos. But did you know they've branched into new categories? You must try like boxers, layers, button downs, and even performance fabrics with their Dratty Sport. The theme with all of their products is meticulous attention to detail. Details most companies choose to overlook. Be Dratty thoughtfully considers like our favorite Russell quarter zip where the front pouch is sewn into the garment and not topped on, allowing for a slimmer, less bulky fit. Shop the entire Be Dratty line at BeDratty.com and receive 25% off with our exclusive discount code KJS25. You got a great voice for radio. Time to get back on course. Thanks for radio. I, I, I get a lot of that, too. As the Pro Show continues, once again, Keith Stewart. It's the Pro Show, and I'm Keith Stewart. Welcome back to our conversation with David Abelis. You know you're listening to New Jersey's ESPN 920. And we appreciate the Southern California vibe you brought with you today, David. Here's a little San Diego serenade to keep the mood rolling. 
love that iconic riff right there. It's very much like our iconic guest this afternoon during U.S. Open Week. As we are about to begin the back nine of our conversation with David Abeles, I think back to what we were just speaking about before the break. You use the word best a bunch there, and you define the word best. These are your words as being unconditionally committed. And there's so many times in the, in the golf space where we have blinders on to other verticals in the world. And I want to touch upon something and make a correlation for my listeners so they understand what it is and how they can process your passion that you just answered that question with. I think about somebody like Steve Jobs. He started a company like Apple, and then they almost threw him out. And then he was successful doing other things. And then they came back to Apple and they reinvented themselves and they went next level. And I look at your career. You know, you started TaylorMade in 98. In 2001, you leave, you go to Titleist. You know, things at Titleist like Vokey Wedges and Pro V1s happen, if, if those were good things, right? They're revolutionary. Then you go back to TaylorMade for five years from 08 to 13. Then you leave again, and then you come back in 16. And if you look at the stratosphere that you've taken TaylorMade to, I mean, it, it's similar to like a Steve Jobs type of leadership role, right? And one of the things I love to talk about with my guests on the on the pro show is that innovation that, you know, that you are a trailblazer, you know, that it, you live, eat and breathe that way of life, right? How did you develop that? Because you could pass along some serious knowledge to my listeners on how they can follow their path, just like you've done with me as a mentor. Yeah, thanks, Keith. You know, quite frankly, uh, I've never been compared to Steve Jobs before. <laughs> and, um, I'm going to share that one uh, with my family and my team. Maybe that'll get me a little, a little bit more further downfield. But um, I, you know, but David, you're you're a serious, serious entrepreneur and an innovator and a leader, and you embrace that, and you just talked about it, right? You are unconditionally committed, right? Share with us, right? What what fires you up, and where what resources you use in order to get there? Yeah. So I. I I'll share something personally with you, personal with you and your listeners that I think in many regards is what inspires me every day to find new pathways like we talked about before and really deliver on that promise of being the best right back to that mission and what unconditional commitment really means. I have a profound fear. Uh, I'm paranoid of stagnation. I'm paranoid of um, staying in the same place and seeing the same things happen every day because your behaviors don't change. Um, I, I don't know where that came from. Uh, you mentioned earlier, you know, my, my parents who are the, the most incredible human beings I've ever met. They're my mentors. You know, my, my father's 92 years old and a physicist who was always about uh, advancing science for the benefit of humanity. My mother, uh, who sadly passed away uh, just last month, uh, was a psychologist who cared deeply about people and was always trying to find ways to help people feel better. And, you know, I think you're influenced in life by, by people around you, your parents, your coaches, your teachers, your friends, your mentors, Keith, um, individuals that, you know, have insights that, that share those insights with others, which I try to do. I don't know if I do it well, but I try to do with others to help inspire them to find their own greatness. So where does it start? I am generally fearful of staying still. I'm generally fearful that I wake up tomorrow on Saturday morning of the U.S. Open and we haven't found something in golf, in life, with your family that isn't slightly better than where we are today. And the thing about innovating and the thing about, you know, finding new pathways is that 
they don't necessarily happen every day, but that doesn't mean you don't think about it. That doesn't mean you don't try to establish a new thought or an idea when you wake up. And I wake up at 4.30 every morning and I say, you know what, what are we going to do today? Just let's try to do one thing that, may, that might just get us just slightly uncomfortable that can get us a little further downfield as an individual, as a team, as a company, or, or even your family. Just identify one thing. Think about that exercise, right? And, and so I've got a couple of business meetings today when I get to Torrey Pines in, in just about 15 minutes. I woke up at 4.30 this morning. I have a, a, a docket of meetings that I have this morning. And then this afternoon, I decided uh, with our local golf professional here who I admire greatly, his name's Sean Cox. Um, Sean is the director of golf at the Grand, who is one of my dear friends, and gives of himself every single day to his membership in junior golfers. He came up with an idea and said, hey, why don't we head out to Torrey Pines together and do something different this year? I would love that, Sean. What is it? Let's take a few AJGA kids out, junior kids, and share some of our experiences with them when we're on the golf course at Torrey Pines at the U.S. Open. Think about that, right? Golf professionals saying, I want to give more of myself and give more of myself and share my experiences in a way to kids that could benefit kids. That's what we're doing today. And so every day, just find one more thing that you, you try to do. And you may not ultimately end up doing it, but the effort and commitment to try to do it is what ultimately will enable you to progress. And when you look back over a period of time, whether it's a week, a month, at times in business, you live in quarters or ultimately on an annual cycle. And you add up those things that you've done every day, you'd be shocked about how far you've come. You'd be surprised about how many different things you, would, you have done that you wouldn't have done had you not woken up every morning and say, let me just try one thing new this morning, regardless of how big or small it might be, to just be a little bit better than I was yesterday. And that's what defines TaylorMade. When you come to our company and you step on campus in Carlsbad and you speak with the 1,300 people that make up this team in every corner of the world, the first thing they'll say to you, I can promise you this, is what can I do today to help TaylorMade be just a little bit better in my role or cross-functionally with my peers than I was yesterday? And we evaluate and measure ourselves against that simple notion. And when that happens, you really start to find progress and you can find new pathways. And I've been very fortunate. Like you, Keith, I've had a series of mentors that have helped me develop and think. I stay connected with them. I continue to work on my own development every day. I have a personal coach up in the Bay Area that I've worked with for seven years that pushes me to get better. And that's important. So uh, it's, um, to me, that's the way of life. And, and it is a paranoia that drives me because I am not good standing still. I know that. Well, you know what? You, de you and I definitely share a common bond, and that's a short memory. You know, you call it stagnation, but I call it, I don't, I don't think about what I did yesterday, right? I, I, I try again to prove myself today as an asset to humanity. And I love the way that you put all of that. And I, and I could tell that you have a very busy day lined up. I have just one more quick question for you. We are on the precipice of something tremendously great in golf. Right. We have this boom of 50 million extra rounds from the NGF, as they tell us last year. Right. What is TaylorMade up to? Can you share with me even the slightest foreshadowing of how you as a leader and your team, as you so eloquently put, plan to sustain, maintain and push this tremendous surge in golf forward for the rest of 2021? Yeah, you know in a very strange and to some degree a sad way when you look at the catalyst of what's 
uh, driven participation in the game, we've been given a gift. And that sad sadness that came through the pandemic, the gift that came out of that as it relates to our game and sport, is the opportunity for new golfers to come into the game and existing golfers to play the game more. And, you know, I've always said this, when you have the opportunity uh, as a golfer or a, an individual that may aspire to play golf or even suggest or consider that they, they would consider playing golf in the future and you engage in this great game, there's a likelihood that you'll stay in the game and continue to play. It's a life sport. The, 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 the lessons learned in this game, which is what makes it to me the best game in the world, um, they stick with you and they you embrace them and it embraces you and you tend to stay in it. So the pandemic really was a catalyst uh, because of the physical environment of golf and the accessibility of golf through the pandemic uh, to give an opportunity for many um, that were playing to play more and those that weren't playing to play. And yes, there were 50 million more rounds of golf played last year, which is extraordinary on a base of 500 million here in the United States. And you can essentially factor all these numbers by two on a global basis. But more important than those that were playing, playing golf more were the new entrants into the game. We saw half a million golfers come into the game here in the United States and a million golfers around the world. And then we also saw quite a bit of attrition because of COVID. People stopped playing uh, for a series of reasons, could have been health-related reasons. They had to take care of something, economic reasons, uh, whatever those things are. We fully anticipate those individuals to come right back into the game as things begin to find uh, a normal state again. And the net effect, we believe, over the next five years could be upwards of two and a half to three million net positive golfers on a global basis into our sport. That's extraordinary. Wow. What are we doing? We are advancing our product technologies, the diversity of our product ranges to ensure that we build products that support the needs of players at every skill level, those that are coming into the game, uh, men and women uh, in, in different areas around the world where there are different playing requirements, both on and off course. So well, number one, we're making sure that our product ranges, both equipment and golf ball, really meet the needs of the broadening base of golfers. Number two, we have taken a direct and active in leadership role. Uh, with key partners at the PGA Tour, the PGA of America, the LPGA, to form essentially a coalition of sorts to run a campaign and build operational practices in golf around the simple notion of make golf your thing. And uh, we have invested financial resources and human capital resources and thought resources to not only sustain what has happened, but accelerate and grow it to take advantage of the game of golf and what this gift has presented us through the pandemic and advance the game further downfield than ever before. And there are a series of work streams that, that we could spend hours on that will advance that. One is the public communications platform. One is an operations platform. Um, there's the opportunity to, to, to make golf more diverse and make the complexion of golf look a little bit more like the complexion of the world. How great would that be? There are inner city and underprivileged programs coming out of that. There are supply chain and procurement programs coming out of that. And some of the biggest names in golf, the biggest companies in golf, and ours being one of the biggest and leading the way and putting not just our financial resources behind it, but our thinking and innovative core behind it is going to advance the game for the long term. So we are not resting on our laurels. We are not simply looking back and saying, boy, as sad as the pandemic was, it's been great for our sport. So let's all benefit from that. We are taking advantage of this and advancing our sport and advancing participation in the accessibility to our game 
faster and more intensely than ever before. So we are all in. David, my audience and I, we're all in on you. I'm so grateful we had the opportunity to speak to you during U.S. Open Week. You know, you know this. You have always been my catalyst. And uh, I'm so happy for my fans and for my listeners that you made the pro show your thing today. So thank you for your time. Uh, Keith, thanks. And thank you for everything you do. Uh, and uh, go out and play golf, everybody. Uh, no better sport to do it. No better time to do it. Enjoy it. And, uh, and we'll, uh, we'll catch up soon. We'll hopefully we'll see a tailor-made athlete hoisting a trophy on Sunday in our national championship. And happy Father's Day uh, to all the fathers out there. Uh, enjoy a wonderful day and, uh, and reflect it back on all the things that you've done uh, in mentoring your kids. We'll talk to you guys soon. All right there, Wade Weezer. Are you fired up today? So fired up. I mean, just 1% better every day. Then you'd be given like 100 days, you're, you're, you're off the charts. Well, I tell you what, that interview is off the charts. And I'm so happy that it was brought to us today by B. Dratty. And let me tell you about my favorite B. Dratty item during U.S. Open week. And that's none other than the fact that B. Dratty collaborated with Lee Wybranski, renowned golf artist and logo designer, to develop a limited edition U.S. Open gear, shirt, Russell, Russell crew neck. Nice. I mean, all the quarter zips. Um, it's really cool. It's artwork. It's a collaboration. It's golf. I love it. And if you want to get one of these items, which I'm, I'm, I'm going to get the full line myself because it's just different and it's cool and golf is cool. So go to bdratty.com, use code KJS25, and you'll get 25% off. And that's exclusive to my listeners. That's bdratty.com. Use the code KJS25. And for certain, you will stand out on the golf course. And I'm going to stand out here in the studio with you. I'm going to get you one, too, there, Mr. Wade Weezer. What please, do you think about that? Please, please. I'm waiting for it. All right. Well, we'll discuss that during the break because you know we're fast approaching 4 p.m. here on the East Coast. Thanks for listening to ESPN 920. Coming back to wrap up today's show with the U.S. Open Weekly Update. Mike Greenberg. One of the great players in the history of his sport has said he doesn't like the game anymore. That player is Gary Sheffield. There's no axe to grind here, right? Like he's not, he's not someone like Jose Canseco to take it to the ultimate extreme. But in him coming out and saying that, when you got a guy who's like a borderline Hall of Fame caliber player saying, I hate the sport now, that's a pretty harsh thing to say. Greeny with Mike Greenberg. Weekday mornings at 10 Eastern on ESPN Radio. And watch exclusively on ESPN+. Right now, we all might feel a little disconnected. For seniors living alone with smaller social circles, feelings of loneliness and isolation can feel overwhelming. But there's something we can all do to help. Connect with your older loved one virtually and have the conversation of a lifetime with StoryCorps Connect. Anyone can conduct an interview, and every interview will be archived at the Library of Congress, becoming part of American history. Connect, honor, share at StoryCorpsConnect.org slash AARP. A message from AARP, StoryCorps, and the Ad Council. You know that feeling? Like every door is closing and you just can't see a way out? Being unemployed, underemployed, or just out of school feels a lot like that. But when you find the right tools, suddenly everything just clicks. Getting on that path may be easier than you think. A good place to start? Go to findsomethingnew.org. At findsomethingnew.org, you have access to resources that help develop new skills. Skills that will position you for careers in today's growing industries. From healthcare and manufacturing to cybersecurity and alternative energy. Plus, 
you can take advantage of online courses, certification programs, apprenticeships, and more. So you can take yourself from unemployed and uncertain to empowered and prepared for what's next. Find your path to a new career today. Visit findsomethingnew.org. A message from the Ad Council. Get ready for the back nine. As the pro show continues, once again, the director of fun, Keith Stewart. Welcome back to the pro show. I'm your host, Keith Stewart. You know me as, come on now, the director of fun. You're listening to ESPN 920. This U.S. Open show will surely be one to share. So tell your friends. They'll find the podcast tonight on iTunes, Google Play, iHeart, Stitcher. You know, golf's a social game. So look us up on social media at KJ Stewart DOF. And of course, if you live in San Diego or somewhere else, you can stream us ne- next week at 920ESPNNewJersey.com. Hello there, the angel from my nightmare, the shadow in the background of the moor, the unsuspecting victim of darkness in the valley. We can live like Wonderful work on the San Diego playlist this afternoon there, Mr. Wade Weezer. I know what you're up to. But do you know what TaylorMade's up to? Let's compare a few different tour quality golf balls, specifically ChromeSoft and TourSpeed, with tour response from TaylorMade. Sure, ChromeSoft and TourSpeed are both soft, urethane balls that are long off the tee. But tour response is also urethane, also long off the tee, and feels even softer than the other two. Oh, and it doesn't cost nearly as much either. So try tour response from TaylorMade a tour-quality urethane ball that's not as expensive as other companies' tour balls. Learn more about the tour response, and to find a ball fitting near you, head to TaylorMadeGolf.com. All right, Monday Night Raw in Wichita. (laughs) A fight broke out during the middle of a qualifier... For the Corn Ferry Tours, Wichita Open on Monday at Sand Creek Station Golf Course in Newton, Kansas. The Fire Pit Collective's Ryan French, you know him on Twitter, is uh, Monday Q School. He was the first one to report on the altercation and arrest early Monday afternoon. According to French's... Is that what happens? <laughs> According to French's reporting, the fight stemmed from one player, Austin Daly, confronting another in the group, Luke Smith, about not helping to tend the pin... Or search for potentially lost golf balls. Yeah, all right. Well, you know, the tour released the following statement to Golf Week. The Corn Ferry Tour is aware of the incident that occurred at today's qualifier in Newton, Kansas. The individuals involved are not current Corn Ferry Tour members, nor nor in the future, probably. Uh, we are in the process of gathering more details, yada, yada, yada. So um, the alterca- altercation took place after Daly hit a wayward tee shot on the par 3 7th hole. Daly approached the two. And he and he said, you know, hey, you know, how about a little, you know, a little something for the effort over here, Luke Smith? Why don't you come over and and help me look for the golf ball? And you know, Luke took exception to that. And Austin Fribbs, who was the third in the group, the innocent bystander, right? As he was attempting to break up the fight, because at that point Smith lost his cool. He jumps on Daly, starts punching him, right? <laughs> Fribbs tries to jump in and break up the fight. Smith's Luke Smith's dad is the caddy. He, he, of his son, he comes after Fribs with the putter, right? So another group called the pro shop and they came to break up the fight. Uh, Smith was then taken to the clubhouse and arrested after Daly decided to press charges. 
You know, Monday qualifiers are known for being dramatic, but this is a, that's a whole new level there. It's a stressful day. Hey, Tiger caught by TMZ. You know, since Tory Pines is this week, and there's a big reminder of how much we miss the drama provided by Tiger Woods, here's some good news. Tiger Woods' rehab appears to have progressed to the weight-bearing stage, and at least this video from TMZ that surfaced on Tuesday. The video first posted by the, um, I guess, uh, what would you call TMZ? Mm, gossip, uh, gossip side, I guess. Yeah. So you entertainment know, the, news. The National Enquirer of sorts of the digital landscape uh, had Woods with crutches walking uh, at the Los Angeles airport and getting into an SUV. Um, certainly, we know he had these traumatic injuries, suffered in a car accident back on February 23rd. But Woods has said, you know, my physical therapy has been keeping me busy. I'm doing my routines every day, and I'm focused on my number one goal right now, which is walking on my own, and he's taking it one step at a time. Now, we all know this isn't the first time Tiger's been caught on TMZ, but as a fan, it's certainly his best. So right after the accident happened, of all things, it was 20 to 1 odds that Tiger would compete in a 2022 major championship. I think that bet's starting to look pretty good there. Less than four months after the accident, Let's keep it going, Tiger. That's it. 20, 2022 Masters. Let's see you there. Our man Rory keeping it real. You know, Rory was rolling in the press conference room on Wednesday at the U.S. Open. And he continues. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> that wrong, didn't happen, did it? Wrong segment. He continues to be the best interview in golf for transparency. And this week was no different couple questions on the possibility of banning greed reading books. He says, look, everything that's talked about in those meetings with the players board is somewhat confidential. But what I can say is I use a greens book and I'd like to see people get rid of them. I think everyone is in the same boat. Most guys on tour are definitely they, you know, they think that if it's going to be available to us and it helps us, they're going to use it. But I think for the greater good of the game, I'd like to see them outlawed and for them to not be used anymore. All right. How about the the recent surge in arm lock putting? And if there's anything that should be done, he quipped, I thought we got rid of anchoring putting three years ago, <laughs> which is which is pretty funny, actually. You know, <laughs> so it's certainly something that, that, that I would like to see addressed and uh, that the players come to a consensus on that one for sure. And on winning at Tory. The honest Irishman weighed in and said, I haven't gotten off to a good start in majors in 2021. Well, Rory, it goes back a little further than that. <laughs> little hat tip to Justin Ray from the PGA Tour. But since 2015, McElroy is 35 over par in major championship opening rounds and 52 under par in rounds two through four. Mm. So sign of the times yesterday with our little story in his rush in. He was he shot that one under 70 in round one which is way better than that 76 and 75. So Rory could be uh, changing the script. He could flip the script here, Mr. Wade Weezer. Flip it. And uh, with a fast finish in the dark, he's ready to attack round two this afternoon. There's no doubt. Brooks and Bryson together. This is becoming a, a weekly saga that we have to cover. So down in San Diego, Brooks was asked, you know what? I just don't like him. Bryson was asked, I think it's playful banter. Uh, the USGA was asked, why didn't you put these two together? And they said, well, traditionally, yeah, traditionally, we put the U.S. the defending U.S. Open champion with the Masters champion and the U.S. Amateur champion, which is what they did. Now, all of America wanted to see the last three U.S. Open champions together, which would have been Brooks Koepka. Uh, Bryson DeChambeau and Gary Woodland. Now, Woodland chimed in 
And he said, I would have loved playing with DeChambeau and Kepka. He goes, I think that would have been great. He goes, I think the fans, all my friends back at home, everybody was talking about it. I think it's good for the game. He's like, you know, Brooks didn't play for two weeks and he's all over ESPN, all over sports news. And that's a good thing. He goes, the energy in that group would have been tremendous. And, you know, it, it definitely would have been an energized uh, pairing nonetheless. It energized you know? is the word, yeah. Um, there's two things I know there, Mr. Wade Weezer. Number one, the golf gods are manipulative and cruel. All right. So I bet by the end of this season, the two will be paired due to their play on the weekend. Right. Yep. And then everyone will get their circus. And if that doesn't happen, we have this ace up our sleeve. They're both on the Ryder Cup team. Okay. Which means they have to spend a whole week together. So good luck, Captain <laughs> Steve Stricker, on that one. For sure. All right. That'll be a 10 shot penalty. Wait, what? All right. Mark Hensby. Uh, he was a late add to the field at last week's Palmetto Championship. And he was also an early withdrawal to the field at last week's Palmetto Championship after adding a 10-stroke penalty to his opening round score. 10 strokes. The 49-year-old Aussie, trying to make his first PGA Tour cut in five years, uh, was two over first for, for through his first eight holes Thursday at Congaree when he noticed something strange with his golf ball. The Titleist Pro V1 had an unfamiliar small dot on it. He asked his caddy, he says, what's this dot on the ball? I've never noticed this before. He checked with the guys in the group and they said, oh, that's a different version of the golf ball that you think you have. And it's a low spin version, yada, yada. Well, he, Hensby figured he'd begun playing with the incorrect ball after depositing his third shot in the water on the fourth hole. This was now the eighth hole. So he was subsequent, subsequently docked two strokes for every hole he played with the wrong ball oh. since they have the one ball rule on the PGA Tour. Uh, that added up to 10 extra shots. And in 84, when he was all said and done, and he couldn't really figure out how the ball got in there. He said, uh, basically, when he was on the practice putting green, of all things, he picked up the wrong ball from Pat Perez. Titleist looked into it. He looked into it. He really wanted to know. They wanted to know, did they put the wrong ball in the, th you know, I mean, it's just a whole big mess there. And uh, you know what? It just goes to prove golf is a game of details. It is. And in a related story, golf is hard. Also. Always check your balls. Fair enough. Fair enough. One more for you there, Mr. Wade Weezer. I'll take a Scandinavian mixed, please. That's not a drink, Wade. All right. <laughs> I was looking for the ice shaker. It was the golf tournament this past weekend. And that's and, and what a tournament it was. Northern Ireland's Jonathan Caldwell ca carded a superb eight under par 64 to clinch his maiden European tour win at the Scandinavian mixed this past Sunday. But that's not what's key about this thing. 78 women from the Ladies European Tour joined 78 men from the European Tour to compete in this 72-hole stroke play championship. It's the first event on a major professional tour of its kind, and it showed the world what's possible. I mean, there was a 36-hole midway point female leader, Carolyn Hedwall, and you know, two of the top 10 finishers were women, and 10 of the top 25 on the final leaderboard were ladies. And uh, you know what? The European Tour is known for creating tremendous content Quite possibly, they created golf's most valuable content of the year with this event. Let's follow suit, LPGA and PGA Tour. And that's your pro show update for the U.S. Open Week ending June 18th, 2021. Of course, we have to thank the New Jersey Golf Foundation and Summit Golf Brands. And of course, not only TaylorMade Golf, but their leader, David Abelese, for joining us this afternoon. Who's joining us next week on the Pro Show? We're going to get a live report from one of the players at the KPMG Women's PGA Championship. Wade Weezer, wonderful work on the board. 
Most importantly, you know I love my listeners. So folks, before I go, I'm going to leave you all with one brief thought about being approachable. Stop telling people you're super busy. What if they had something really special to share or an opportunity to present? If you're too busy, you might actually miss something important. I'm your host, Keith Stewart, and this is The Pro Show. Thanks for joining us for today's show. The Pro Show with Keith Stewart returns to the T next Friday at 3 on ESPN 920.